Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Hello and welcome to episode 22 of the Flying V Anaheim Ducks podcast here on the Believe Podcast Network, Southern California's number one sports podcast network, the only place of the show for every team in Southern California and more. We believe in our teams. Do you believe? Yep, it's episode 22. Kent and I are here ready to talk Ducks hockey. How you doing, Kent? Yeah, you doing well, man. How about yourself? Doing well. Had uh, caught up a little more on my sleep this week, so um, I think we're. I think I'm doing pretty well. I heard you had a busy week at the coffee shop. Got really hands on there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was interesting. I think it was the, the first time, the first couple of shifts, we uh, we just had um, one of our baristas uh, just had um, surgery, and another uh another member of the team was uh was sick over the weekend so it was kind of and uh, we had a really busy weekend which is great but it was just kind of uh all hands on deck so yeah Bree and I were in there I was uh she was rigging people up I was making drinks and uh but uh so yeah and then uh of course we got hit with the the dreaded closing shift which none of our uh Nobody, nobody likes that because you get stuck with all the dishes and the the cleaning oh. at the end of the. Oh, we had a we had back to back closing shifts, the dreaded back to back. So, uh, but it was good. It was uh, it was a fun. Yeah, it was a busy weekend at the shop, so that's always good. Yeah, yeah, it's better busy than not busy when you when you own a business. Yeah, I, I, that's right. <laughs> Um, so today on the episode, we're going to get into going all the way back to last week, a major, uh, a major event, the Jay Bomeister collapse and cardiac event, they called it, uh, that ended up postponing the Ducks game against the Blues back a little over a week ago. So we'll talk about that. We're going to talk about the Ducks 6-0 loss to Calgary, the 5-1 win over the Vancouver Canucks, and then the 6-4 loss against Calgary once again. So uh, lots of stuff to get into. I definitely have some um, some more passionate feelings about that second Calgary game, so we'll, we'll get into that. But uh, the first, I mean, really shocking thing that happened since we were last recorded is uh, – Jay Bomeister collapsing on the bench last week when the Blues came to Honda Center to play the Ducks in between shifts. Um, I personally was watching on TV. They came back from commercial break and everybody was kind of gathered around the two benches. They had mentioned what happened and I immediately thought of Rich Peverly. Uh, that happened probably five or six years ago and sounds like a very similar situation for Jay Bomeister. But what what are your thoughts on that? Uh, yeah, I mean, I definitely kind of hear guys talking and, uh, really kind of, uh, kind of puts you back at the, the big picture of life. It's kind of one of those moments, like, uh, it's just scary. I remember you texting me seeing, uh, like when the game was going on, I, I wasn't watching that one at that time. So then I'll catch the replay later at night, but, um, yeah, so I obviously kind of flipped it over to see what was going on, and they the broadcasted. They even halted the the broadcast at that time, and were kind of showing some other stuff, and um, started seeing some of the the footage as it it came out of of him 
of him going down on the bench and man, that's, that's really, uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty jarring, uh, footage to see that. And yeah, obviously some scary moments, uh, in their early stages when you don't know when details are scarce and you just don't know what happened or if he's okay. And I think the, the first relief is hearing it, uh, a couple hours later or whenever it came out that he was alert and, and kind of, uh, up and alert and awake and doing okay. But, um, yeah, I mean, obviously we've got, uh, spent a year in St. Louis and, uh, so still, still know some guys pretty well on that team and the training staff there as well. And, um, yeah, I think just hearing from everyone, everyone there that night, it was just, uh, yeah, just a, a tough thing to, to see and, and kind of move past. But, uh, just, I guess just hearing that he was okay was, was the main thing after that point, I think the, uh, I mean, you can see how it happens, like the, the limits that, the body gets pushed to in, a, in an NHL game is pretty, pretty extreme, and it's only kind of getting more so with the speed and uh, the the fitness level and everyone's kind of physicality of the game and and how fast everyone is and strong and and nutrition to the max and the best training. It's just so fast and and just kind of takes such a toll on the body that uh, you can kind of see how it happens. I'm sure they'll have more, more details. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I know, uh, though I play with them a little bit when I was coming up in the minors, I was in Florida's organization playing in San Antonio for a year and he was uh, rehabbing an injury. So came down and, um, played for a couple of games or was with us as he kind of was finishing up his rehab and then played a couple of games trying to get ready, but just uh, such a, a down to earth kind of quiet, unassuming guy, just one of those like personalities, just kind of ho-hum, just uh, not overly outspoken by any means, just kind of uh, quiet, cool, calm, collected, like cheer everyone. Uh, amazingly well and just a great great human being and an insane career he's had I mean that's his resume is it's just insane and I think in an era where no one came in and played at 18 19 and he came in and did it with relative ease I mean he when he was down with us it was just uh you know it was ridiculous i mean the, the guy just so effortless skater like a, a niedermeyer-esque like just kind of such a powerful slide and just gliding around the ice and just uh a presence and it, so yeah just a great guy and a great career and uh, i know he was obviously well liked on every team he's been on so i'm sure that was a tough few few minutes but just all the credit in the world to the the two, uh, like both the, the Ducks and the Blues training staff. I mean, I, I wasn't there, but from what I hear, you know, I was kind of all hands on deck there. And uh, just the, the quick response and, you know, it, those guys are the best in the fist too. Like, it's amazing 
what they do. And a, a lot of times it's, um, you know, they're, they're, they're doing a lot of stuff behind the scenes, but to, to have something that urgent, basically a life and death situation and to just everyone kind of handle it as well as they did. It was uh, kind of the, the ultimate uh, clutch performance there. It was, was awesome by uh, by all the staff and just glad he's okay more than anything i'm sure everyone kind of feels that way agreed and i mean if you've ever taken a cpr and first aid class and you kind of do learn to do the chest compressions and use the defibrillator but as much as you try to get your mindset into like what would happen if you were really needing to use those skills on somebody i don't think you ever really fully grasp it and then seeing you could kind of see the the trainers and doctors doing chest compressions on them and, and they said they used a defibrillator. So, I mean, that, that must be traumatizing for both sides. I mean, the, the, a couple of the players talked about it. Um, but I thought the interesting point that Dallas Eakins made, I think it was in an, an article with the athletic was, and he wasn't kidding was that if his heart were to stop anywhere, he would want it to be on the bench because that's the place where he's going to get the quickest care and the most the most professional care. And that goes a long way to describing just how professional those, those team doctors and the team trainers are. So uh, like we mentioned kind of at the beginning, not the first time it's happened in an NHL game or on an NHL bench. It's actually happened two, two more times. But uh, uh, it seems to be, I mean, you never want it to happen anywhere, but the safest place for your uh, heart to stop, so to speak. It's, it's, kind of a, it's kind of an eerie thought. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's so true, like those guys. I mean, you, you, you're basically kind of watching the game. And, and yeah, I mean, you're, you're on alert for, for injuries, but just to have that, so yeah, it's just something you don't expect. You know, I guess it, it, the possibility is always there, but it's just such a such a rarity, and you, you just have to launch into that life-saving. Uh, yeah, like you say, and I'm sure they're training and experts in their field, but just with that, the suddenness of it and the, the kind of instant pressure that those guys have to. They kind of maintain their composure and and do everything, all the the procedures properly, and and probably I would think make some some tough kind of split second decisions on what needs to be done and and how and for how long. It's uh, yeah, it really is. Can't can't overstate it uh, enough how how incredible the job that everyone did there. And so that game gets postponed. It'll be made up in March. I saw the date of the date for you guys in a minute, but uh, the Ducks have to follow up that game a few days later in Calgary against the Calgary Flames, which really, uh, I mean, you can't really blame the Ducks for the performance they put up in that game. Six nothing loss. Uh, Calgary was without Travis Hamanick or Mark Giordano, but uh, I've never been in a situation where I had to play a hockey game after such a traumatizing event. Um, I can't imagine how hard it must have been to get back out there and 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 play and not think about what went on uh, just a few days earlier. But uh, the Ducks had to, and and you could tell that they were a little bit off. What what were your thoughts on that first Calgary game? Yeah, definitely going back. I mean, uh, stopping the game like it was kind of a no brainer at that point. Like I don't think how you could wrap your around wrap your head around getting back on the ice and, and playing playing a game after kind of one of the 
one of your teammates and brothers in hockey kind of after, after seeing that, I think that was the right call. And, and yeah, like I would think that these guys are, like you said a couple of times here, these guys are human beings and, and it's probably still in the back of your mind. And uh, yeah, it was a, that was a tough, tough game. No doubt about it. And you got Calgary that's uh, kind of underachieved early and is now kind of, uh, you know, found their uh, found their stride a little bit. I mean, that's a pretty potent lineup. So I think a lot of people expected them to be higher um, or have some kind of like point cushion in the division. And uh, I'm not sure where exactly they are now, but I just, I know they had some issues early, obviously the coaching change, that's a whole other issue that, um, it's a good team, no bones about that. I mean, they got, they got a lot of a lot of talent and uh, a roster that's kind of uh, taken some time to put together, but is more ready to win now. I think um, they, they've still got some youth uh, in uh, you know to Chuck's a young young star, and uh, but yeah, they. They just, uh, I think they've got a good team and always, uh, they were always tough at home. I remember that um, for sure. Always a tough team to play at home. That was my um, like, also. That game was uh, my mistake. That game was in Anaheim. The, the last night's was in Calgary, but my bad. <laughs> uh, yeah. I, uh, but hey, well, I guess even on home ice, they're tough too. Um, but yeah, I think just probably being back in that. Uh, back in that arena, back in the scene of where all that went down, and and just uh, when it, you kind of see some of the goals and the plays that that were made, and just yeah, some of the uncharacteristic sloppiness of that, uh, you can maybe chalk some of it up to that. Just uh, just a tough night all around, and and one that I think as a coach you probably um, heard that they weren't weren't happy about that, and I think that's probably partly that and. Uh, and partly an effort just to kind of snap everyone back into the present and and, uh, and kind of focus on the task at hand. And you got to love to kind of even the standings being what they are, kind of zero tolerance for uh, for any kind of lapse or performance like that. You, you heard uh, Johnny and Brian talking about how the – Oh, the, the following practice uh, started with no pucks, which anyone who played minor hockey uh, knows that's never a good sign. And, no, uh, not at all. Those are, those are never fun. Um, and uh, always, uh, always a favorite kind of a statement move by the coach starting the practice with uh, with no pucks. Don't even bring a puck foot on the ice. Just, just get the whistle going, get everyone up everyone going but yeah yeah definitely not not a good one we haven't seen very many uh of those from the ducks this year at all um so just kind of a flip on the radar in uh in high school uh after the few games that we lost a little humble brag there our coach i mean always the the first game of the season that we lost uh he would we'd go to the rink we had 5 30 a.m practices in new hampshire which was cold we'd walk into the uh, into the rink not only would there be no pucks there would be no nets and sometimes the clock would be off the wall so we were like oh boy this is going to be this is going to be rough so uh definitely uh, you're right anyone who's played 
competitive hockey, even at a young age, can sympathize with the no puck practice. Yeah, yeah, never fun, never fun. But yeah. I don't know. That was a good, good coaching tactic in that moment. Just to, obviously a little bit of a, you know, punishment tone to it or, or whatever. But you need that once in a while, and I think just to kind of snap everyone back to to present day and and back at kind of what the the job at hand is. Yep. And uh, just something I noticed from that game, another another power play goal, again, scored from uh, that kind of top of the circle, but the opposite side, not the one-timer side, but the uh, the kind of the, the winger who's actually on his correct side, he's, he's, but he can't take that one-timer, so he kind of collects it and, and takes a, a wrist shot from the top of the circle. It wasn't a direct, it didn't go in directly, but it caused Gibson some trouble and it ended up getting... Uh, and knocked in kind of off a rebound but I, I decided to look up the scouting reports on Gibson because he's such a solid goalie it's hard to figure out why I mean what his weaknesses are but one of them is uh, people say sliding side to side uh, on his pads he's a butterfly goalie so sometimes he'll slide side to side and it doesn't he doesn't go fast enough or he overcommits. and I think I mean that might be the answer to why they keep going there it's they're trying to get him to move I mean anybody will try to get a goalie to move side to side in a power play but they always go specifically to that side or opponents usually do so maybe that's uh, and they were saying that when a goalie moves side to side slowly uh, they tend to get a, their glove hand up a little slower and that's where he's been victimized a few times this season even in the past few games so I think that might be our answer to why they keep going to that side. Oh, nice, uh, nice research there. <laughs> good stuff. Not, not a big deal, as our uh, our other favorite podcast likes to uh, likes to say sometimes. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, but uh, yeah, that that was uh, uh, something I noticed from that game. And then you mentioned kind of the lackadaisical play. Lindholm had a bad giveaway. Uh, Raquel not really covering his point man on the Shillington goal that really everyone backed in and, and the guy sniped top corner. Um, and then Raquel again with a, a dangerous saucer pass uh, backhand um, that he paid for on the other end. He kind of got beat uh, one-on-one to the goal and, and Calgary ended up scoring. So, I mean, that is the type of game that you see when, when a team is distracted or their, their mind's not on it. So I think like you said, the no puck practice was a good, a good kind of diversionary refocusing tactic. And then, Sure enough, they come to Vancouver and they uh, they earn the five one win in their next game. Derek Grant gets his fourteenth goal on a beautiful pass from Ryan Getzlav on a, a pass I think we've seen before uh, from two other players this season. Young players had a good game in Vancouver. Uh, all in all, it was an interesting interesting performance considering how many shots Vancouver had. But it was one of those to me. It was one of those games, uh, and I'll let you kind of but cut in here how you felt about it. But after that, we'll talk a little bit about my feelings of fancy stats. But uh, what did you think about Vancouver's, uh, the game against Vancouver? Uh, yeah, Vancouver, I got to uh, shout out to the coaching staff there, Travis Green and my buddy, uh, Nolan Baumgartner. Um, you guys have done a great job with the, with the, a rebuild that, uh, it's gone quicker than expected, and um, they got they got up. I think they, they at one point they were challenging. Uh, I think they were a couple points behind St. Louis for first in the West, and they've fallen back a little bit now. But uh, just a 
fun team to watch, play an exciting uh, brand of hockey. Obviously have the two of the most uh, exciting young players that are only going to get better. And um, Well, I guess Master would probably be in there too, but Pedersen and Quinn Hughes and uh, are just kind of must-see must TV, must-watch seeing what uh, Hughes is doing this year. Is, I loved him as a player. I actually um, first met his uh, dad with a buddy of mine uh, from home was in town um, uh, up in uh, Terranea in uh, oh, wow. yeah, over there. And they were, he was, um, you know, some, some brand marketing uh, with RBC in Canada and, and uh, so he was over there with some some hockey folk from uh, I forget what the agency was, but it was Quinn Hughes, uh, Mr. Hughes, uh, Jack. Uh, uh, the, dad. Yeah, is a dad. The dad might be Jack is the younger brother, is Quinn's younger brother, um, but oh. Jack might be also be his dad's name. I don't know. Okay, <laughs> maybe edit this part, but uh, Mr. Hughes uh, was awesome. It was before the boys uh, had got drafted, and uh, I remember hearing about. Uh, uh, we were talking more about Quinn because he he was a defenseman, and uh, we were talking. He, he was telling me how he he was playing at Michigan, and just a, a great guy, a super nice guy, and uh, and then. So we were talking about Quinn, and then then he stepped away to talk to to someone else. And my friend Matt who was telling me, he's like, "Yeah, his son, uh, the one who's playing at Michigan, he's like something like a 17 year old freshman, and he's uh, quarterbacking their uh, first unit power play." Huh. And I was like, "Oh, okay." So this kid's a stud, and he's like, "Yeah," and uh, and the. He's he's gonna be like a, a top five, top ten uh, pick in the in the NHL draft uh, later this year, and and then I'm like, wow, that's crazy. And he said, yeah. And the craziest thing, he's got a younger brother who's probably gonna go even higher, probably number one. And so that was I, I remember that. So I kind of uh, checked out uh, anytime Michigan was playing or um, college hockey on on one of the kind of the way up there sports channels uh just kind of watching them and on some of the team usa stuff i think is where i got to watch them more and just you know effortless he just gets around the ice kind of remind me of scotty a little bit and just uh but the skill level and the hockey hockey iq and just uh like not afraid to try stuff obviously when you're that skilled you can pretty much get away with trying whatever you want he was always just just fun to watch and uh so it's awesome to see like that. I know that doesn't always translate right away in the NHL, but to see him push together the kind of year he's having this year is incredible and uh, excited to see where that goes. So, um, but yeah, uh, back to this game in particular. Uh, yeah, it was great by the Ducks. And one thing I noticed that we were talking about the slide. I got to talk to my buddy Bomber, Headland the D. Um, the policy on the slide because there was like the slide was directly responsible for a couple of the Ducks goals. Uh, the first one where uh, Henrique kind of 
was trying to pass it across, but uh, the Canucks defenseman oh, yeah. was was swimming in front with the stick on the ice, trying to take away the lane, which, again, I get, but I just don't like it. And it banks off his stick and, and, uh, and five ball on the goalie. And then uh, another one, I think it was the fourth or fifth goal. I can't remember which, but same thing, a Vancouver def- defense and just sliding off into the corner, left the man all, all alone in front for just kind of a uh, yeah, tap-in goal. So I noticed that after talking about the yeah. sliding. On I, think that, two on. I think that's that goal. The second slide you're talking about was the Grant, the really nice pass Grant had to Gooley out front who uh, – Yeah. Who put it in? That, that was a. I mean, that was a great pass on Grant's part to get around that slide. But uh, I do agree sure. with you there. It's a. It's a good. Uh, it's a good example of how the slide can go wrong for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. When slides go wrong, for sure. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, go on. That cap slap pass was. Uh, that was. Uh, that was a that was a nice one. That was, that was kind of a vintage. Like I does that stuff in practice all the time. It was just to drive you nuts as a defenseman. But uh, that was a that was a great play and definitely one that stood out. And uh, yeah, he had another goal for uh, Mr. Grant. Yeah, I mean that that goal was really familiar, and I forget exactly who the other two players that pulled it off this season. It might have been it might have been Getzlaff to Steele or Steele to Jones, but same thing. Guy, it was just a, like a month or so ago where uh, the player was behind the net, skating away from, uh, kind of back around the other side of the goal, and the goalie lost track of it. the The person passes behind, kind of behind their back, to a wide open goal. Uh, excuse me, a wide open forward in front of the net who has really the entire net in front of him. So I think that that one's gone down a couple times this season, which is impressive. Um, I also thought that uh, once again, going to Vancouver's only goal, that power play goal, their power play is going to be so good for a long time with you were talking about Quinn Hughes quarterbacking the power play. And he's got a weapon like Pedersen, who's got an absolutely just lethal shot on a one-timer and then you've got Brock Besser there too who's got got some skills so uh and JT Miller so uh, that's going to be a pretty formidable power play unit going forward and it was impressive excuse me that the Ducks uh the Ducks were able to pretty much shut them down only allow one goal I remember I was at a Kings game against the Canucks back in the fall and the power play just they just toyed with the kings it was unbelievable how many how many i think they scored three power play goals that game so um that is certainly a group to look out for before we continue with the show i've got breaking news this is important psa pubic service announcement is brought to you by manscaped.com manscaped has a brand new best on the market third generation trimmer called the lawnmower 3.0 and it's now available for purchase it features a cutting edge ceramic blade to prevent manscaping accidents you don't want to show up in the er and have to explain to the doctor or the nurse how you got that unfortunate cut down uh, below the belt so that's why the lawnmower 3.0 is a great product and right now get 20 percent off and free shipping with the code believe at manscaped.com that's 20 percent off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code b-l-e-a-v and as always your nuts will thank you uh but now, kind of on my on my rant about the fancy stats, and when I, when I say fancy stats, I'm talking about like Corsi and high and high 
high, well, I'm having a brain fart here, high danger chances for and the percentages and expected goals and stuff like that. I understand, and we've spoken about this before, there is a place for them in hockey. I understand they're there to kind of notice trends that might be as, not be as obvious and quantify things that people people maybe haven't been able to in the past, but there's also the human factor that you don't take into account. Like I, i.e. the Bo Meester, uh, a cardiac event and uh, the matinee game in Vancouver, both those games were so one-sided in terms of shots. Uh, I, believe, I believe the Ducks heavily outshot the Flames in that game. They lost 6 nothing, and vice versa in Vancouver. And it just, I mean, but the chances were relatively even. It just doesn't, it doesn't make... To me, it doesn't make a difference. If you're watching the game, you can tell that even the the Ducks had a sloppy game in Calgary, but they weren't totally out of it. And Vancouver had a sloppy game against the Ducks, but they weren't totally. I mean, they more or less it was competitive, and both those teams that ended up winning were were just kind of took advantage of of bad mistakes. But it wasn't like they were hemming the other team in the zone the entire time. So I know that fancy stats are used to supposed to be used over a long uh, kind of a long. Uh, sample size and they they tend to hold true over over more more just bigger sample sizes sizes but like the people who just refer to them they're like oh so and so played well because he had this coursey four percentage or this expected goals it's like yeah i could tell i watched the game i saw him get four shots and i saw him handle the puck for a while and make good passes it's just like i don't know that got to something about that got to me where i was like these nobody even really mentioned it in referencing those games, but I just had to get that off my chest. <laughs> yeah, man, I agree. I'm just like, yeah, we definitely talked about, it. I don't even know what course he is, but, uh, it's, I don't know. I, too many numbers for me. I feel like it's kind of, you don't like, not everything has to be measured. I mean, yeah, you can basically just kind of, watch and and no and i guess yeah i, I mean i guess it's, it's true like if you're you can't have scouts at every single game and but i don't know i just i feel like it's uh i don't know i i just don't think those numbers really i think it's so hard like it's such a it's such a nuanced game and there's just so much flow to it and, and like so many moving parts it's just it's hard to qualify and that's why I, I don't know I always will take a good a good team of uh a good team of scouts over uh analytics and I don't know if that uh I know there's two schools of thoughts on that especially when Moneyball came out I remember that and thought it was it was so cool and like you're watching you're like oh these old these old school guys, they, they won't change their ways. And these guys have figured out the solution and they have all the answers, but these old guys won't change. So that was kind of the essence of the movie, but that, uh, I guess I'm kind of on the opposite side of that when it comes to hockey, but yeah, but that game, that, that book, the book and the movie conveniently left out, uh, the pitching on that team, Hudson, Mulder, and Zito, and Miguel Tejada. Like, it was like yeah. those four guys didn't even exist. So, uh, yeah. and those are pretty big. I mean, those at the time were three. I mean, we're talking baseball now, but we're 
probably the best top three starters uh, that you could have in the league and a, a quite a good shortstop who uh, I think hit around probably the high 200s and uh, had more than 100 RBIs that season. So um, it's not like they were they were piecing things together with absolutely nothing. So that, that was kind of revisionist history there for, for uh, those movies yeah. and books. <laughs> Yeah, well, hey, maybe they got some, uh, you know, some residuals off the anytime Moneyball is shown and all that good stuff, some good book sales. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, it was a well-written book, and Bill James and uh, uh, I forget who wrote Michael Michael Lewis. Um, <clears throat> He's he's a good writer, so it was it was interesting. But there, there's definitely some stuff that was forgotten. But back to hockey, um, just a general wrapping up that thought is the like you mentioned before. Uh, we've talked about it specifically. You've pointed out things tend to level off during a season. Um, the Ducks have been in games. There've been blowouts. There's been a couple steps forwards and a couple steps back. But like you can't you, you kind of have to know just watching um, the nature of a team. You can't you can't just do it by reading the numbers. But uh, speaking of two steps forward or one step forward and two steps back the second Calgary game. So uh, that was a six, four loss to the ducks last night in Calgary uh, or yesterday during the day, Andrew Majapia, I'm going to butcher this Majapani gets the hat trick out of nowhere. I mean, I almost referred to him as something called Andrew Majapani just to make the joke that I didn't know who he was, but he, uh, he certainly deserves his full name red getting a hat trick in the NHL. And I mean, a six round pick, he's a pretty good player. He's victimized the ducks this season, but uh, I was more upset for Anaheim's performance carrying that two goal lead into the third period against a team that whooped you a few days before you have to hold on to that lead. And I, I just didn't like the body language that was being shown on the ice when they were giving up those, that lead. And, uh, I think Manson and Lindholm, we talk about them facing, always facing the best competition that the other team can throw at them, but they, they had a rough, a rough game, uh, against the flames yesterday. Uh, um, but overall, was not happy with the performance, and uh, I would I would guess Dallas Seekins probably wasn't either. Yeah, I uh, I have to agree. Um, you know, we haven't I haven't seen it too many times uh, this year, but I don't know for whatever reason. I guess sometimes you just get it where. Maybe this is the the leveling off, or how many times did Anaheim beat Calgary in a row? It was something crazy, like mm-hmm. I don't know, twenty five times or whatever. And now, now it's leveling back. I don't know, but uh, yeah, I had never um, heard of Mangiapane, but that's cool. A sixth uh, sixth rounder, and uh, it sounds like a good story. I gotta dig dig deeper and find out more about this guy because obviously he's a good player. I thought he was. Uh, he was a call-up or something, I, but and then I looked. I mean, he has. Uh, I think that put him at 13 for the year. So I mean, that's that's pretty legit. Like that's uh, mm-hmm. that, that's not that's not a fluke. So he's he's uh, I don't is, I don't know. Is, is this his rookie season? I mean, I guess we we got to know. We got to figure. He this, technically. Uh, uh, so I'm looking at his hockey DB right now or elite prospects. He played. 44 games in Calgary last season, had eight goals, five assists. So he's already had some significant NHL time. Uh, the year before that, he played 10 games with the Flames. But it's had a good – I mean, he's one of those guys who looks like had a very 
a under the radar, extremely good junior hockey career. I mean, he's played three years of the Barry Colts. He had 51 goals in 2015, 16, 55 assists, 106 points uh, in the OHL, which I mean, people argue is one of the better is probably the best June major junior league of the three. Um, so, I mean, he had, he had quite a, uh, he had, he had quite a career there and you wonder why he slipped all the way to the sixth round. I wonder if maybe it was his size, only 5'10", 183 pounds, which I mean, in today's NHL isn't even that small, but uh, it could be interesting to hear why he, why he slipped so late being such a talented guy. Yeah, that, that is, uh, that is strange. I, I yeah, I'm 5'10", uh, from, from watching him out there, 5'10 might be a little generous. That might be the old program <laughs> 5'10, but, uh, I mean, who cares? Yeah. Like, especially now, like that, that's size is basically, I mean, irrelevant skating is the is the, the top priority doesn't matter um yeah I mean, it doesn't matter how big you are if you can't move uh you can't play whereas in the days past you kind of had to be big first and then mobility was uh kind of came next in the priority list or <laughs> next or a couple a couple down the list, but, but now kind of skating is everything. So, yeah, size is irrelevant. So, yeah, you wonder why he, he, he dipped that low. But so, yeah, really, he's been, been scoring for a while. And, um, but yeah, as a six rounder to come in, and seems like he's kind of steadily, uh, steadily building. And yeah, Hatrick in the NHL will kind of, uh, We'll put you on the map for sure. Kind of get these guys in California to know who you are. Yeah, his his career arc. Uh, it almost kind of reminds me a little bit of Brad Marchand. Brad Marchand, I think, was was drafted in the fourth round, but uh, not the biggest guy. But uh, that one of the goals. Not I think it was his second goal that Mangiapane had last night. Um, that kind of moved to his backhand in front of the net and then a roof job up over, uh, over, I think it was Miller. Um, I mean, that was a skilled play. That was a play that I've seen Marshan make. So, uh, I wonder if he'll have a similar career trajectory where in the next couple of years, once he's had a a couple full seasons in the NHL that he'll, he'll really start putting up big numbers. So, uh, he's a guy to keep an eye out on, I think for sure. But, uh, any other thoughts on that game before we get to the three stars? Uh, no, I think we can put that one to bed. I think, uh, I guess that Mangiapane one, one, it looked like he was on a line with, uh, to check. So that was, uh, that's a good kind of, uh, good guy to be on a line with. Uh, he's a great player, man. I, I know my parents, uh, hi, mom and dad, we're listening again. Hello, but, uh, hello um, Mr. and Mrs. Huskins. <laughs> yeah, yeah there were. I know there's a lot of people in Ottawa really like uh, Matthew's uh, brother Brady's chair. I know he's, he's getting a uh, a lot of fans there in Ottawa. Just the way he plays, kind of night in, night out on a on a team that's not necessarily have, having a ton of bright spots these days. He's definitely won. So I love the way those guys play. Absolutely. And, and interesting that they're both playing on Canadian teams. Uh, their dad with his, his, I mean, 
originally from Boston. I think they're technically from Missouri, uh, where Keith was playing when uh, when they were right. born and growing up, and I think probably made his home. So, um, but uh, doing a great job playing in Canada, and and uh, both, yeah, like you mentioned, physical, uh, able to get under the people's skin, which is impressive, and, and score goals. They pretty much have it all. Um, and speaking of getting under people's skin. I wonder if we uh, if we want to talk about the old uh, the, the three stars. I didn't mention it before in the in our kind of prep, but you want to talk about three ways phys- ways physically or even chirping that your people either got under your skin or you're able to get under people's skin on the ice. Oh man, uh, <laughs> I can go first if you if you want to think of a couple while I'm while I'm doing it. <laughs> yeah, sure. Yeah, that sounds good. Do okay. That. So, I mean, this all, like I said, I have said many times in the past, this all applies in men's league and, and high school growing up and stuff like that. But uh, I always hated when I was in front of the net, the battling for position, the stick to the back of the pants where you kind of have that lip of your pants sticking out up maybe over your jersey and you get kind of that cross check, not at your back, but downwards and it kind of throws you off balance. Oh, that always pissed me <laughs> off tremendously. Like, I would just, I, that just got me going. Um, that was number one. Uh, the slew foot is another one. I mean, that one's a dangerous play, but you can even kind of get that. Uh, it's dangerous, especially dangerous when you're going into the corner and that type of thing. But even when you're in front of the net and someone gets positioned on you like that, you feel really helpless. Um, that one's another one that set me off in men's league a few years ago where guys slew fitted me into the boards and, uh, a couple wires crossed. So I was, uh, I was not happy with that. <laughs> and then the final one, which is especially annoying is the cross check to the bony part of your arm, kind of where there's no padding between the bicep and the tricep. That one sucks. Uh, that one is really unpleasant. Uh, <laughs> so those are my three. Uh, any, uh, any, any, did you the jog your memory at all or anything from your end? Yeah, yeah, those were uh, those were good, man. Things guys did, and it wasn't—I don't know. He, I don't know. It was on purpose, but I used to. It used to drive me nuts, and you used to get hit by like when guys were dumping the puck in, and they like went to either like take a slap shot, dumped in, and just like wire it and, and getting hit with those and like the ankle it's one thing if you're like blocking a shot or whatever but getting hit in the in the like side of the knee or oh. like in the ankle or something with a dump in is just like the, the worst it makes me so mad now. i used to hate that <laughs> um i'm just trying to think of other things you're talking about like getting under people's skin is one name that comes to mind and I've heard he's an awesome guy. I know a lot of guys have played with him and uh, and a great coach now for the for the Blues. Um, but Steve Ott, I mean, that guy, he was, like, the best at making people, like, absolutely uh, furious. So I guess Sean Avery was good at it, too. But um, that Steve Ott used to just, like, uh, I remember with the Ducks, that was the one team, speaking of teams that kind of have your number, it was, for whatever reason, Dallas always kind of had our number a little bit. And, like, this guy was just a master of getting under people's skin. It wasn't even, like, any any kind of bad 
bad chirps or like anything offside like that but it was just like just like subtle kind of rat moves and then just like smirking about it after just one of those guys man but he was he was so good at it and had a great career and was a, a great character guy one of the guys you, you know he's kind of one on your team and, and now he's a, a cup champ with the with the blues so uh congrats to steve ott uh, <laughs> you say through clenched teeth <laughs> that's funny no that's I, I, I do he's a great guy though so that that just kind of brought back some memories there um i don't know one of the other things that used to be one of my pet peeves in hockey was um speaking of analytics our version of analytics that was, was like the one they kept in hockey that people uh loved or hated depending on what your rating was was plus minus and I, I used to hate, especially in the minors, because in the it even happens in the NHL, believe it or not. But in the American League, so in the NHL, they have countless number of people tracking the stats through the game and kind of watching. And if there's a if there's a, a question of of something, they'll like review the tape and figure things out so they get it right. Like as far as a goal, if if that hits someone skate lace on the way in or whatever if someone got like the subtlest of touches on a puck and they would get a second assist or the goal or whatever so there's a lot of people like that to handle but even in the nhl it still happens where you'd get dinged with like a phantom minus oh no or like or you'd get uh You'd be like plus two for a game, and then check the game sheet, and it'd say you're even. And like it was just like I don't know. So in the NHL, it was rare, but in the American League, it was just like back then. I'm sure it's better now, but it was just like you could be plus four in a game and check the game sheet after, and you'd be like dash three. It's just like I don't know. Like I think they had like one person keeping stats for like 40 guys out there, but, uh, I don't know. It was, that was always a, a pet peeve because when you're not a, when you're not a points guy and you need to have something kind of on your resume to, um, to kind of give you some, uh, some credit for, for your play. That was one kind of currency or one thing you could point towards is, was plus minus because some people did, did put a lot of stock in that and it was something you could kind of point to or have uh, some nice thing to have on the resume so when you go out and battle for 60 minutes and and uh, make sure you're, you have your guy in the defensive zone and do all your defensive assignments all game and and uh, they come out the ice and so the one thing that's going to like translate into physical numbers then they got it like wrong by like not one, not two, but like three or four. It's just uh, that was always a, a pet peeve of mine, as I say, as a guy who didn't always, uh, wasn't always getting the big offensive numbers. Yeah. You, those you wonder if that's like, I don't know, you call it like guilt by association or something like that. I know the men's league refs do this all the time where you get someone you like, I mean, secrets out, I check my men's league stats sometimes, but uh, you, uh, <laughs> You get like you score or something like that. Or you get an assist, and the and it's like 
the the ref just arbitrarily gives it to the guy who usually scores. So you're like, come on, no, that was not. I, I that was me. Not that I don't score a lot in men's league, but like, it just uh, it's just like all right, or or gets all the penalties. So like, I wonder if in the AHL, it's just the, the person misses who was on the ice, and they're like, God, oh, that was probably that was probably Huskins yeah, minus. <laughs> Like us can get beat again. <laughs> <laughs> oh man! Um, but yeah, I think I think that'll do it. A good episode, as always. You can find us on all our social media platforms. You can find me on Twitter at Deli Tweets. That's D E L L I T W E E T S. And I have an, a new Instagram for my uh, for my business. It's called uh, a little play on words, the Media Deli. So T H E M E E T H E M E D I A D E L L I. And you can find Kent on Instagram at Husk, H U S K under dash V E R N A. Uh, anything else you want to add for the night? Uh, no, that's good, man. But uh, you're just like every other hockey player out there checking the stats after the game. Love this. <laughs> it's in the men's league's no different. NHL's no different. Everyone checks the stats after the game. They say they don't, but they do. That's right. That's right. (laughs) All right, man. Well, it was a good episode, and uh, we'll see you guys next week. Have a good one. Thanks, Pedro. See ya. See ya. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.